Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Soccer Talk podcast. More details emerge about the Premier League TV rights deal in the US. We reveal the 20 most popular soccer teams in the United States. Should UEFA and Conmebol nations leave FIFA? Elsewhere, we reveal what percentage of American soccer fans prefer British commentators. We look ahead to this weekend's games. We also discuss Fox getting the rights to two major competitions. Plus, we have plenty of time for the listener mailbag, and we'll explain how this weekend's El Clasico will not be on television at all in the United States. On the panel today, we have Kartik Krishnar. Kartik, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Chris. How about you? Pretty good. Pretty good. And, and Kyle Fansler. Kyle, how are you doing? Doing well. Good to be back on the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's good to have you back, uh, Carl. We missed you last week. Uh, I know you were deep in the uh, video editing room working on uh, the interview that you did with uh, Christian Polanco from the Cooligans. And uh, before we jump into talking about the Premier League TV rights and you mean all the different news that we have, what's going to be the next episode and uh, what can we uh, basically, what, what can you tease us with? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, Chris. It's uh, actually the video is currently exporting as we speak, so it's all wrapped up and just getting the final touches in and getting ready to send that over to YouTube and Facebook. Um, I should I say the name, Chris, or should I just uh, sure. give little hints as to? Oh yeah, so the the person that I talked to uh, for this week is Derek Ray, who I'm sure a lot of soccer fans out there know. One of the best commentators, obviously from from Scotland. He does all sorts of tournaments. He works primarily with ESPN, does their Bundesliga coverage, obviously their La Liga coverage this season as well. We had a really, really nice chat. He brought in a lot of things, and I think he provided a lot of images as well from his time uh, commentating soccer. So yeah, that'll be live either. Uh, on thursday or friday morning um so yeah really nice chat with him and i'm looking forward to getting that one out there yeah totally and that's the uh, soccer show and tell series from world soccer talk um last week we had christian polanco from the cooligans the week before that we had mark donaldson from espn and uh, like kyle mentioned uh, derek ray from many different places espn Mm-hmm. You mean uh, Fox, uh, NBC, etc. Kartik, right before this call, um, we were talking offline about Arlo White and how Arlo's, in many people's eyes, is kind of the almost like the global commentator for the Premier League, even though, you I mean, it's just US based. 
uh, for those broadcasts. Can you think of any other commentators that have a global kind of appeal or a global... Uh, I mean, Derek Ray has done so many games from so many different leagues from around the world. I mean, a lot of German fans think of him as their commentator. There's probably a lot of fans, Scottish fans, that think that he's their commentator. Can you think of anyone else who has that kind of that vers- versatility? Well, Kevin Hatchard does, too, with the Bundesliga. Uh, back in the day, I will tell you, when, uh, when ESPN International had the, the Champions League rights throughout much of the world, uh, Asia, uh, much of Africa, much of the Caribbean and, and uh, Central America, Derek Ray and Tommy Smith were kind of seen as the definitive voices of the UEFA Champions League, as they were in the United States. Uh, now, that's dating ourselves, right? That's more yeah. than a decade, well over a decade ago. But I remember that distinctly, that people in India, people in the Middle East, they, they all knew who Derek Ray and Tommy Smith were based on coverage that was originating in the U.S. So that was, uh, that was interesting. I think also with the Premier League, there's generally been a tendency to look at what we used to call the, the big four sky announcers that would go out over the, uh, over the Premier League productions as well. Martin Tyler, Ian Dark, Rob Hawthorne, and John Champion. Alan Parry, the other one? John, John Champion? No, it wasn't John Champion. Okay. Uh, I think it may have been Parry. Or, but there was a mm-hmm. big four, a quote big four. But yeah, uh, Derek Ray is synonymous with the Bundesliga now and actually does a number of uh, games also for the Bundesliga world feed, uh, as lo- along with what he's doing for ESPN in the United States uh, regarding the Bundesliga. All right, so let's come back to the United States here and talk about the. Uh, let's start talking about the Premier League coverage from this past weekend. Um, from a sheer entertainment experience, I, I think no one can really stop the Premier League juggernaut this season so far. Uh, not even La Liga, Serie A, and the Bundesliga combined, even though each of those leagues have some major storylines happening, some great games, some great goals. Um, but collectively, if you look at last Saturday, just as one example, um, you had some incredible goals from Liverpool, Mo Salah, uh, back in action, back on uh, basically top form, really. And then Manchester United, even, uh, just an incredible goal by Mason Greenwood. Then you had the drama of Aston Villa against Wolves in the derby, and then the excitement levels of Leicester, Man City, uh, Man United, and more. And uh, in the past, NBC really had to kind of hype up a lot of the things they talked about, a lot of the games they showed, more so than it deserved. Now, at this stage, to me at least, um, the action doesn't need the hype. Uh, The action is that good. And it's the perfect timing for the next TV deal, which we'll get get into a little bit later. The other thing to add to this in terms of uh, just watching these games is the return of Goal Rush, which is on Peacock. And without it, which is their whip around show, without it, it's, it would have been much harder for the viewer to watch the thrills and spills of what was happening in the Villa Wolves game at the same time as the Leicester Man United game. So watching Goal Rush, just like the, the Golazzo show uh, on the Champions League, just as a zone of football uh, for Champions League and, and Europa League, it really, really kind of shows... The, the best parts of what's happening at any given moment. And if you watch one game, you're missing out on everything else. But uh, for me, I, I think it, at this point, it's, I mean, it's going to be really difficult for any league to, I mean, really surmount the entertainment experience that the Premier League is offering. Kartik, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. Although, look, I mean, NBC's tone has been uh, slightly different this season. I think that 
the renegotiation of, of, of the Premier League rights uh, deal that's ongoing that we'll discuss later in the show has something to do with it. Uh, the action has spoken for itself. But I still think in the lead up to the Newcastle Spurs match, you saw a little bit of that NBC hype that um, I guess the majority of fans are fine with. But there are some of us and, and some of us who are active on Twitter, because clearly when, when, when I tweeted it, I wasn't the only one who was saying, yeah, you're right. Uh, that still lends itself towards the sort of um, propaganda-ish uh, description of things that you don't you don't typically get on ESPN when they're covering leagues. So uh, there was a little bit of that as well this weekend. Yeah, I, I'm not why well, I, propaganda. I mean, basically, uh, um, info listeners who are wondering what's going on, it, it was it would have been before the Newcastle Spurs game and probably uh, Rebecca Lowe and Arla White uh, talking about this controversial takeover uh, by the Saudi sovereign state of Newcastle United. And uh, it, it's difficult, right, for NBC because they have to, on one hand, inform the, the viewer. Uh, on the other hand, they have to play nice with the Premier League. I mean, they're at a pivotal period right now where they don't want to say anything controversial, um, but they also want to appease the viewers who are listening and watching, wanting NBC to say the right thing. Um, it's a difficult situation to be in. So Yeah, but it just harkened back to... Uh the bad memories many of us have of last April or this past April, this, this year, when uh, on the Sunday of the Liverpool, we have Man United Liverpool again this week, right? So it's actually a good time to talk about this, uh, that they were in all out defense mode of the Glazer family ownership. Uh, now, now the tone changed a little bit the next day uh, after they, they got battered and, and, and bashed, but uh, it was uh it was somewhat reminiscent of that. I don't think it necessarily reached that fever pitch because there's just not as many Newcastle fans. And they're not Newcastle fans who are hostile to this takeover. Uh, but uh, the, the, um, the bad taste in our mouth of that that was beginning to wash away, with me at least, was just reinforced on Sunday. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I missed it personally. I, I think a lot of people probably missed it with it being a, a Sunday morning kickoff. And I was probably watching a different game at that time, waiting for the build-up for that um, for that eleven thirty kickoff. So I, I missed it, and probably a lot of other people did too. Um, but yeah, it's so I, I I didn't see it firsthand. So so it's it's hard for me to comment on. What what, what about what about you, Carl? Did you catch that one on the Sunday morning when they talked about? Uh, the takeover of United and, and kind of the controversial uh, Saudi state. Unfortunately, I I didn't. And Chris, you know, I was uh, I was out of town this weekend, so my my soccer watching abilities were a little limited. But you know, I, I saw it all unfold on on Twitter, relatively speaking. And uh, I think uh, you know, it's it. I think you and Kartik got it spot on. It's it's a slippery slope for sure. Um, I might editorialize a little bit here and say that. Uh, I lean towards the fact that I think NBC should be a little more critical of, you know, the the human rights allegations because you know I do come from a, a news-ish background, so that was always my target was to kind of expose things or at least tell the truth. And you know, it is hard. You guys are right um, because they do have to kind of play nice with Newcastle and play nice with the Premier League because they are trying to, you know, stay on their good side. And obviously, the rights I think do play somewhat of a role in that uh, coming into next season. But no, I didn't get to see too much of what the coverage was before the Newcastle Tottenham kickoff. But uh, yeah, I, I wish I had because obviously it sounds like it was a, a pretty 
interesting thing to watch. Yeah, and I don't think it was a clip that uh, NBC Sports Soccer, the Twitter account, or, or any of the social media accounts probably shared uh, mm-hmm. frequently throughout the, 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 that day. You mean like, hey, here's what Rebecca said today about this, or here's what Arlo said about that. So, yeah, I, th- I think for them, it's probably hoping that, you mean, we, we talk about the football and not talk about the actual kind of the political side of things, though, yeah. the human rights side of things. But um, but we are here to talk about the football. And Kartik, you mentioned a minute ago about ESPN might have covered this topic a little bit differently or might have uh, said something differently. Speaking of ESPN, uh, Kyle, there's a big game this weekend, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and, and that, that's, that in itself is a talking point about uh, what's happening to it and where it's going to be. Yeah, I could go into detail about the actual game between Barcelona and Real Madrid. I don't think it needs too much introduction as El Clasico, but I think the thing that stands out for me is that the game is not airing on ESPN, like the main channel. Instead, that game is going to be exclusively on ESPN Plus for American audiences, and that kind of you know bothered me a little bit. The game's at 10.15 on a Sunday, so if you're looking for conflicts, the only thing that's airing on ESPN at that time is their NFL pregame show, and they every Sunday they do a three-hour NFL pregame show leading up to the 1 p.m. kickoffs, but again, uh, the NFL does not air on ESPN on Sundays. They only have Monday Night Football, and I thought this was a really great opportunity that ESPN could have taken. Um, obviously, they had the first game of the season with Barcelona and Real Sociedad on their main channel. Actually, I think it was actually on uh, ABC, but it could be wrong there. Um, I yep. thought, yeah, like I said, I thought it was going to be a, a great opportunity for ESPN to push out soccer content and, by the same token, kind of show the Premier League, hey, we're going to be able to show a lot of games on our main channels. But no, the biggest game of the season so far in La Liga is only going to the paid streaming service. Um, you know, at the same time, there are plenty of advertisements that you see on ESPN and ESPN Plus and the ESPN website that say, hey, El Clasico, we got the rights. Make sure you watch it. But, you know, they all say only airing on ESPN Plus. And uh, like I said, it's just it's just a bummer. Um, I have ESPN Plus, but at the same time, it would have been nice to be able to see uh, a major game throughout European soccer on a major uh, U.S. channel. It's a little bit funny, though, to me at least, as far as this topic, because if this game was on BN Sports, you'd have people complaining like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't get BN Sports. You know, it's not even on my cable network. Like, ah, they suck. You know what I mean? And and mm-hmm. with it being on ESPN Plus, by this point, most soccer fans, I, I haven't met, I don't think I've met any soccer fans, hardcore soccer fans, who don't have ESPN Plus. So it, it is. You know, it's very accessible to us. It's as as accessible as I don't know Fox Soccer Plus. So actually, it's probably more accessible than Fox Soccer Plus. <laughs> but um, but the big question here is the mainstream. The mainstream who would be interested in sports in general. Um, the timing's not good, right? At ten fifteen on a Sunday morning. I mean, most people, a lot of people in the, in the United States are going to be in church. Uh, or doing family activities and, and then have the afternoon free to watch, you mean, NFL or Serie A, whatever it may be. So in some ways, La Liga didn't do any favors to ESPN here because, you mean, it's a Sunday morning, early mid, mid-morning kickoff. At the same time, though, I mean, La Liga is all about uh, ESPN+. Plus. ESPN+, Plus is all about La Liga. I mean, this was a deal that when the deal was signed exclusively on uh, ESPN+, Plus, but very likely that these games would have, would be on ABC or ESPN or ESPN2. 
And having said that, though, too, you're right, uh, Kyle. I mean, this is a Sunday morning. Uh, ESPN does not have the rights to the NFL. And we looked at the, the TV schedule for this Sunday morning, and I think it's mostly... I think uh, fantasy football, it's basically prep shows. It shows yeah. kind of shoulder programming leading up to the afternoon's NFL games. Um, but at the same time, ESPN, who I think overpaid and overestimated the, the, the size of that La Liga community and how many people are in- interested in watching La Liga, um, and doubled down and paid a lot of money and did a major deal uh, and are probably my my educated guess would be that the numbers that they're getting in terms of the number of signups for ESPN Plus, based on their projections for La Liga, are probably under lower than what they expected. So if you're going to bump yeah. up those numbers this weekend's the game to do it, and we'll see. I mean, no Messi, no no Ronaldo. Um, what what for you though would be the storylines in terms of on on the pitch or some of the things you would be uh, looking out for? Yeah. Um- Really quickly, I just want to say that, you know, I, it makes sense. You know, you want to use this game to grow ESPN Plus, and I think it's a good game that should do it. I mean, there's a lot of storylines, even though we might not look at this game and say, oh, it's the great El Clasicos of years past. It's definitely not that. Let's be honest here. Messi's gone. Ronaldo's been gone for a couple of years, so there's not that star power that there was in the in the mid-2010s. But that being said, there are a number of storylines, like I said. I think one of those is that this is kind of the – the stepping stone into a new generation of El Clasico. We have players like Luka Modric or Casemiro or Benzema for Real Madrid. And on Barcelona, you have Pique, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba. All these players are kind of winding down their time at Barcelona. I mean, or Barcelona, Real Madrid, especially at Barcelona with them all taking pay cuts just to get under some sort of uh, salary issue. So it's really watching these players play in their last El Clasicos. And then by the same time, you have all these young players on both sides starting to break through. I mean, Pedri and Ansu Fati for Barcelona, uh, Vinicius, uh, Fede Valverde for Real Madrid. These players are really starting to make a name for themselves at these two clubs, and it's really their first taste of an even playing ground. They're going to have fans in the stadium. I know it's 100% capacity at uh, Camp Nou where the game is this weekend, but they're having some ticket issues, so we'll see what's going on with all of that. Uh, So, yeah, it's an interesting game. Obviously, Barcelona has their struggles, and Real Madrid, with a win, would go up to likely top of the table with uh, Real Sociedad currently sitting three points ahead of them with a game in hand, of course, or uh, playing one more game. So uh, an important game for both teams, uh, and I think more important for the two sets of players involved as a certain uh, group winds down their time with the clubs and another group begins to make their names more uh, household apparent, or I don't know the exact word, but you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Kyle, that's, that's your uh, game of the weekend. Yeah, it uh, is. definitely. And, and Kyle, the big question is right: where does this fit in? Where does this fit fit in on Sunday? Because other than Barcelona against Real Madrid, you have my my game of the week, my recommendation, which is which overlaps. Uh, at, uh, so there's going to be a, t- a period of time where uh, even though Barcelona and Real Madrid is kicking off at 10.15, at 11.30, you got Manchester United against Liverpool. On that same day, you have Ajax against PSV in, in the Dutch league. You mean kind of top of the table clash. You have Roma against Napoli. You've yeah, got... Uh, at the same time, too. That's Roma and Napoli kicking off at noon. Eastern time. Ugh. And then you got, you got Marseille against PSG. So, you mean, kind of the two biggest cl- clubs there in, in France. Uh, you've got Atleti against Real Sociedad. 
top of the table kind of clash there, big ramifications there in La Liga. And then you've got your game of the week that you're recommending. So where does does, uh, El Clasico fit in and and what's your game of the weekend? Right. So my game of the weekend is Inter-Juve. This was a tough one. Roma-Napoli is is taking place right before it. I'm really impressed by CBS Sports Network's commitment to clear time to show both matches. The NWSL regular season is over, so they also have uh, more time slots. They showed an NWSL doubleheader uh, last weekend, which was uh, also a nice little surprise. Uh, We talked about what we watched this past weekend. But uh, I think that this this El Clasico is – there's a little bit of a deflation about it. I I think Kyle's right, Messi and Ronaldo being gone and and the kind of malaise we've had at Barcelona, although quite frankly Barcelona has not been as bad in the league as I thought they would be. So maybe as much as we, we were bashing Ronald Koeman for the performances in Europe, the, the performances in the league, uh, even though they haven't been here on the eye, the results have not been as bad as I thought. And then the ESPN Plus thing, which, Chris, you make a great point. When these games were on BN for years, for, uh, well, BN didn't have the distribution issues that uh, they ended up with until about 2017. But from 2012 to 2017, it was great. From 2017 onward, we kept having complaints that this matchup was on BN. Now it's behind a paywall on an OTT service exclusively, and we're not hearing those sorts of complaints. So there seems to be a halo around ESPN with some fans where you can't uh, you can't uh, uh, criticize them, right? I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. So, uh, But I think it's just not especially United Liverpool, right? Because that is such a big derby. and such a, uh, there, there's so much, um, there, there's as much enmity around that, as much, uh, uh, I, I, I would say, bitterness between supporters bases, particularly in the United States, we're speaking specifically of this market, as there is between Madrid and Barcelona fans. So I, I think it's, it's just also bad timing. It's not just the ESPN Plus thing. It's just bad timing as you outline all those matches. Yeah, especially with uh, Liverpool, Manchester United, that the number of titles that they've won in England, uh, that number's getting closer and closer and closer to Liverpool. Um, maybe you mean eventually uh, surpassing Man United, and with Liverpool flying right in both in in Europe and, and in the Premier League. Um, it looks like they've got a very good chance this season. So this game means a lot, and it means a lot to Man United, right? For in terms of where they are. Uh, and kind of the sense of unease about the manager and how the team's not playing as well as it could be or should be. But I could easily see Man United winning this match. So, you mean, it's, it, I, guess, I guess at the end of the day, we're blessed, right? We, I just named like six or seven games on Sunday. Each of those games could stand out on their own as a classic. Each of those games have so much history, tradition. Uh, are probably going to be fantastic matches to watch. Uh, Sunday, I, I, mean, I think my daughter has has a game uh, in the afternoon, so I'm going to miss some of the games, but I'll I'll tape those and come back and watch them. Uh, and then for for you mean mainstream America, there's NFL going on, there's, there's even the other sports going on too. So we're spoilt for choice. I just think that. You mean, again, ESPN, I mean, La Liga has not done uh, ESPN any favors with the scheduling in this game. It's just, uh, it's probably the worst timing possible, the worst possible time to have that game on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, but having it on ESPN Plus, uh, you mean, for me, I, I don't think it's that bad, but definitely it would be better to have it on ESPN and or ESPN2 and on, as well as ESPN Plus. 
Um, but that's the decision that they, they they didn't reach that decision. They decided not to do it that way. It's not even on the ESPN Deportes. So they're pushing. This is 100% all about just pushing, pushing, pushing. Get people subscribed to ESPN Plus. If you're not subscribed to ESPN Plus, why aren't why aren't you? Because this is the game to do it with. But but, but let me ask you this, Chris. With it being not only the same day, but overlapping slightly with with Man United Liverpool, uh, does ESPN FC their signature soccer program even lead? If they're doing things editorial wise, objectively, even lead with El Clasico. Well, that's well, that's the, well, that's the, that's the interesting thing, thing though, right, Kartik? We, we talked offline about this a few days ago. Is that ESPN FC that the show is going to be on ESPN? I think or ESPN two, two uh, ESPN on two, Sunday but, morning, but, right yeah. before the game. <laughs> but 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 yeah, they, they would definitely lead off with El Clasico. They they have to. And the, the amount of money that they've paid. Um, unless it's it's a boring, you mean nil nil game, nothing happens, which I doubt. But if, if if that's the case, it was really nothing to talk about. Then then yeah, ESPN FC later on Sunday probably would not lead off with that game. They would lead off with United against Liverpool, perhaps. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. And Kartik, uh, on Thursday we published a story by you talking about the pros and cons of the different broadcasters that are bidding for the Premier League rights in the United States. Uh, care to shine any more detail? So for listeners who, have, who haven't uh, uh, read all the, all the stories on worldsoccertalk.com and other places, what are the details that they need to know about, about this Premier League TV deal? And, and could it be leaving uh, NBC? It very well could be leaving NBC. It also may not be. What what the Premier League, according to published reports, is looking at is offering an exclusivity deal of all 380 matches uh, for bid and also the potential of splitting the package between two partners, which would allow for greater visibility, greater promotion. I think this is really work for the NBA. Look, uh, when the NBA shifted from uh, in the 90s, the NBA was with Turner and with NBC. And when they decided to dump NBC and pick up ESPN as a second cable company, uh, cable provider, which also then uh, gave them the, the the ability to place games on ABC, which, of course, they've done, including the finals. Uh, they uh, and the All-Star game every other year. There was some concern, I know, among people at Turner that, my goodness, you know, we're being encroached upon our cable package. And, uh, and what ended up happening is the NBA got more promotion because they were on two major cable networks and then two networks that were linked to larger media entities. Turner was owned by Time Warner and uh, and uh, uh, ESPN was owned by Disney. So that is, I think, along the lines of what the Premier League is thinking about promotion in the United States. If they could get themselves in a situation where they're promoted by the Comcast networks of NBC and the Viacom networks of CBS as a hypothetical or also Disney networks, that would be a great thing. Now, one of the drawbacks is what we just discussed in the last uh, segment, uh, Kyle and Chris, which is the uh, the lack of television windows on Disney-owned channels for soccer during the fall. And I think that this is something the Premier League ha- will have to weigh. In my opinion, does the ability to be linked with the ESPN and Disney marketing juggernaut outweigh not being on television? No. In my opinion, I wouldn't go there. But... They might see the, the the and I think the idea of ESPN being the exclusive rights holder is is, is a non-start for the Premier League. But would it be in their interest to split between, let's say, CBS and ESPN, or uh, 
NBC and ESPN. They might weigh that and say, okay, we'll have less games on linear television, but we'll still have some via NBC's or via Comcast, NBC Universal's cable channels and over-the-air channels, and same thing CBS between CBS Sports Network and, and uh, the uh, over-the-air CBS, and uh, get the power of Disney behind our marketing. Then there's also the wild card of Fox, because Fox, uh, and we're going to talk about this, obviously, uh, Fox is making a big play to re-enter soccer. Now, I thought when Fox had failed to land the NHL rights, which they did bid on, and when they dumped the USGA rights and let NBC uh, take the rest of their their package, NBC who had been the rights holder the previous 20 years, so uh, USGA, I'm talking about uh, golf, US Open, and other USGA events, I thought Fox was basically getting out of the sports business outside of the NFL and college football. They're gonna let their Big East contract with college basketball run down and uh, and etc. But now they're making a move back into soccer. We saw them get Copa America. We've seen them uh, acquire the Arab, uh, the the the, the uh, North North African Middle East Arab Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen them acquire Serie B. But now the big move with the Euros. So the question is, do they uh, do they come back into club football in a big way with the Premier League? I think it's possible as a split. So first off, I don't think the idea of Fox and ESPN, who submitted a joint bid, remember, the last time there was a bidding, Chris, which you reported on, you broke that story, that the Premier League didn't accept their joint bid versus an NBC individual bid in 2015. I don't think that kind of joint bid is feasible because the the intervening thing that has happened between 2013, 2013, obviously, Fox and ESPN split, split the Premier League rights in this country with Fox as the primary rights holder, sub-licensing a number of games to ESPN. Now Fox is much more deeper into the college football and college football uh, college basketball landscape than they were in 2015. In fact, uh, the reformed Big East went with Fox uh, as, their, as their primary rights holder for, for Big East basketball. And uh, Big Ten and Big 12 football, which was uh, – um, prior to 2015 on FX or Fox Sports regional networks now is on Big Fox and on FS1. So right. that's uh, actually the Big Ten they didn't have at all until 2014, I believe, 2014 or 2015. So I think that's a non-starter. So my hunch here is you have some, you either have NBC or CBS taking the exclusive rights or you have some combination of NBC combining with ESPN, CBS with ESPN, CBS or NBC with Fox the outsider is Amazon 18 months ago. I know people who've listened to the show uh, over the course of the years knew I was really high on Amazon getting at least a piece of the Premier League rights in the U.S. I don't think it's going to happen now because the Premier League has chosen not to split the packages the way they have in the U.K. The way they've split the packages in the U.K., it was very convenient to sell one of those packages, uh, which is basically holiday fixtures, midweek fixtures, mm-hmm. to Amazon. If they had broken out a similar package here, which I think would have been a good idea personally, uh, and that would have gotten another uh, another rights holder involved and, and maybe more visibility, uh, I think Amazon would have taken that package here. But they haven't done that, so uh, they have to do what they're due to UK competition law. They don't have to do it here. There's no law that mandates it here, so they're right. not doing it. Yeah, the timing of this deal is a dream come true for the Premier League. Um, timing in terms of how many major media giants you have who are interested, willing to spend possibly billions of dollars to acquire the rights. And also at the same time, you do have 
the influence of an Amazon or perhaps some of the, the other tech companies who might also be interested to, who might, uh, for, for, the, for the actual Premier League, for the bidding, uh, kind of raise that value of that. And also, too, the Premier League's doing great I mean, in terms of you know, Ronaldo signing with uh, Man United and just the visibility uh, at this time. So to break it down for, for new listeners, um, so the current deal with NBC Sports ends at the end of the season. So this would be a brand new deal starting with the 2022-23 season that begins in August. And what we're looking at so far is that... Um, uh, it p- appears to be a race between ESPN, Fox, CBS, and, and NBC, with Amazon on the outside looking in. Uh, it could potentially uh, be a nine-year deal uh, with a valuation of $3 billion, and that's according to The Athletic. To put that into context, the growth in the value of the Premier League rights deals from the first deal that NBC Sports did in 2012 uh, which was for the 2013 through 2016 rights, NBC paid approximately about $83 million a season. Now, under the current deal that they have in place, the 2016 through the uh, the 2022 that ends uh, this season, NBC is paying roughly $150 million per year. So it's uh, in close to double what they were paying for in the first uh, uh, rights cycle. Now, the new deal... It's possible it may even double that uh, a number that NBC's paying currently to over $300 million per year. So this weeds out the smaller players. And, and when you have an ESPN who is desperate to get this um, because they want to grow ESPN+, Plus, they have some really aggressive uh, subscriber growth numbers. Uh, you have CBS who sees Paramount Plus in the same, the same vein uh, competing against a Disney+. Plus. And having um, shows, movies, sports, and they know that they getting the Premier League would be kind of the, I mean that would take it through through I mean through the roof in terms of competing against uh, Disney Plus in the U.S. Uh, then you have NBC, the 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 legacy rights holder right now, who wants to grow Peacock big time and desperately needs the Premier League uh, to be a component of that. And then you have Fox on the outside. Fox, who has uh, the 2B streaming service. Uh, and Fox probably is looking more so at the World Cup uh, and looking for, okay, what ways can we acquire rights to leagues that will help us promote our, league, uh, our World Cup coverage? And vice versa, the World Cup coverage could promote uh, the Premier League. Uh, and, and they've got some aggressive uh, goals, too, for their 2B streaming service. And then you have Amazon on the outside looking in saying, hey, how can we get in on this in terms of uh, streaming? So the deadline to submit the bids, sealed bids. So each of the players will not know uh, how much uh, that the rival is bidding is November 8th. And for the first time, the first time Premier League says it will consider bids that split the rights between two media companies. And like Kartik was saying, too, it's. I mean, you could have a whole bunch of different combinations. Uh, NBC probably wants to have it all. They will be unlikely to want to share it with somebody because NBC wants to be, okay, hey, we are the exclusive rights holder to the Premier League. We can talk about it on Peacock. We can talk about it on the NFL coverage and the Olympics coverage and you name it. They talk about, you mean, the Premier League as if it's their own. Now, CBS, Fox, and ESPN 
may be more likely to do a, a combination, kind of a, a CBS working with, with ESPN or or ESPN working with Fox. But there's so many different ramifications and variables about, okay, you mean CBS doesn't have a Spanish language network. Uh, Fox doesn't have a really strong sports streaming service. So Kartik broke down all the different possibilities, and there is a lot of possibilities and a lot of things to consider. So if you want a really in-depth analysis of this, um, as well as some other uh, intelligence in terms of um, these deals and, and where it may be heading, definitely head over to worldsoccertalk.com and check out the uh, the story on the homepage. Kyle, <laughs> there's a lot to take in there, but but for you personally, would you have do you have a preference if 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 somebody came to you and said, "Okay, Kyle, you make the decision. Is it going to be NBC, CBS, Fox, or ESPN, or is it going to be a combination of of any of those two? Uh, what would be your pick?" I personally, um, you know, I'm a big basketball and hockey fan, so I, I want to say that I'd be fine with a combination, but I don't know what it is. I can't, I mean, I know it's a possibility. Um, I don't know how I would like a combination deal with uh, the Premier League. I know that's uh, a thing with the MLS, but personally, I'm not the biggest fan of that. Uh, I know it grows the audiences, but for me, and this is just a very personal thing, but it, I just find it harder to keep track of, so... Personally, I'd, I'd prefer it to be one provider, and if I had to choose one, I'd probably stick with NBC, and I think they are doing a great job this season. I don't know if that's just because there's a lot of great storylines to follow in the Premier League this season, and the games, like we already mentioned, especially this past weekend, were uh, pretty incredible, and you know, eyes are glued to the television, so I think I would stick with NBC, um, but I think, honestly, I'd be fine with uh, ESPN or CBS. Not, I can't say the same about Fox personally, um, but uh, any of those three would be fine. But if I had to choose one, like outright, I would probably just stick with NBC. Yeah. What? What? Uh, Chris. One. One thing that just popped in my mind is Kyle was uh, giving some really good background there. Uh, yeah. I'm. Uh, I mean, the thing I like outside uh, soccer the most in sports is probably ACC basketball. And I remember when the ACC, which was exclusively on ESPN, and it's now back exclusively on ESPN with the ACC network and all of that, but uh, broke out and gave a specific one-time slot a week package to Fox in 2002. And I thought that was one of the smartest things that conference did. And then as uh, the, the conference expanded and all this realignment happened in college sports, they just went with one media partner now, which is ESPN. But that's something I still think the Premier League needs to explore in this country is one time. And they do. And like I said, because the UK competition law, they've had to do it in the UK with BT, BT and, and Amazon most recently, but in the past with Satanta and ESPN UK and others, just giving one network, uh, having a primary rights holder that has everything else, one network, one time slot. Maybe it's that 1230 p.m. Uh, five, uh, Eastern time, 530 p.m. local time kickoff on Saturdays. Maybe it's the 11.30 a.m. Sunday kickoff. Just give a network, break that out of the main package, and everything else is in, in another package. I think that would really work, uh, but they're not going to do that. So, so let's go back in, in the time machine a little bit to like basically 2006 to about 2012, and um, a lot of listeners won't, won't know or realize that even during those periods, we had we had three broadcasters that had the rights to the Premier League. So we had Fox Sports that had the rights, that bought the rights. 
But then they sub-licensed um, a bunch of those games to Satanta Sports and then also did a sub-licensing deal with ESPN. So what it was was that um, it changed over time, but like a Saturday morning 7.30 kickoff would be on a ESPN2 and then uh, the 10 a.m. kickoff, you'd have one game on uh, Fox Soccer Channel and then one game on Satanta Sports and then the 12.30 kickoff. Sometimes it, it would change. I think sometimes it would mostly be Fox Soccer Channel, but sometimes maybe Satanta would get it. But oftentimes what happens during that period is that we wouldn't know who had which games until usually like the Wednesday, midweek, Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, so for pla- Chris, if you remember, the Monday games were always on ESPN. Yeah, those last years. That's right. And sometimes they were bumped to ESPN three. Uh, but they were usually on ESPN too. Yeah, you're right. So this actually, what I just laid out that the ACC did, um, the ACC did it as a league uh, a mandate, right? Giving a, a specific package, specific start time to Fox. But um, yeah, I guess indirectly, Fox and ESPN and Satanta did it uh, without the Premier League's blessing or without the Premier League's. Uh, uh, initiation in this country. A good point. Yeah, and I think Kyle's point too about uh, having one broadcaster making it easier, making it uh, less confusing is, is a major thing. I mean, NBC has definitely helped grow soccer, the sport itself, as well as the Premier League um, since 2013 in this country, in the last eight years. But part of that magic sauce, that magic formula, uh, was really having the exclusive rights. It, it wasn't rocket science to figure out uh, where games would be until recently with Peacock. But, I mean, in the beginning, it was easy. It was NBC Sports Live Extra, the streaming service, would have every single game. And then you'd also be able to get the games through television, through NBC and NBCSN, etc. Having it split, having it split among two different broadcasters... Um, for the Premier League makes a, t- a lot of sense because they can increase the amount of money that they, they can get. They can have some of the featured games be on, say, CBS, CBS Sports Network or CBS, the network itself, uh, as well as Paramount Plus. And then also maybe with an ESPN, with some of the games on ESPN2 or ESPN Plus. I guess the difficulty there, though, too, is like, how do you how do you pick i mean espn plus is in direct competition with paramount plus so that's in some ways not the the best type of deal there so maybe it's cbs doing a deal with fox and fox doesn't have a strong streaming product but fox does have a large distribution uh, channel which is fox over the air fs1 fs2 fox soccer plus um, so that that combination would work well with CBS and Paramount Plus and a lot of the games on television through the Fox networks. Um, at the end of the day, I think it's, other than Fox, I, I would say that ESPN, if ESPN won it, if CBS won it, if NBC won it, we'd have, yeah, some of us would have complaints. But I think we'd have the confidence knowing that they can they can cover sports. The soccer the sport of soccer in a professional manner and do an exceptional job. Fox is the only one where we're like, oh, we hope they don't get it because I mean their level of analysis, their level of commitment, their level of professionalism, their level of focus in terms of hiring the commentators, the good commentators, and, and the good analysts is is, um, is subject. I mean, is definitely a, a weakness of theirs. And 
but it's quite possible that Fox could get the rights, the exclusive rights, or do a combo deal with one of the other broadcasters. It, it is a fascinating period in the evolution of uh, watching soccer on television and on streaming. And this deal is going to have some massive implications. And one of the big implications, Kartik, is what does this mean for the, uh, for the Major League Soccer TV rights? We haven't talked about MLS TV rights in a while. We know that uh, discussions have been taking place among the major broadcasters. And this week, according to reporter John Urand from Sports uh, Business uh, Daily, he reported that the media companies have told MLS executives that they want to wait until after the Premier League's bidding process ended before getting serious with the negotiations. So what does that tell you? Yeah, I think that they want to see where the dust settles, who is committed, what in the way of resources, financial resources and time slots. Not that there's that much overlapping, but still there is enough that it could be an issue. We've discussed this in the past uh, to, to see who, who was tied up and who was probably more available for MLS. I didn't mention Turner Sports in my uh, or uh, AT&T, Turner Sports, uh, HBO Max, in the article on the Premier League. I think they're a, a player for MLS rights. I think they might be actually in a position where they're sitting pretty because they haven't uh, committed the resources, committed the, the financial resources and uh, time resources to the Premier League, and they might get one of, one of the MLS packages. We don't know how the MLS package is going to be split. We know it's now delinked from U.S. soccer. So MLS is looking also – on, at, at getting more money in this package because of some of their expansion cities. As I've mentioned before, I don't know that Cincinnati and Miami did much to move the needle in terms of their overall profile for the type of uh, broadcast partners they're looking at. But Austin certainly ha- will and has. Nashville certainly has and will. And uh, Charlotte will. So um, I think they're going to be in a really good position to – capture a streaming service and get um, a lot of money, whether it's HBO Max or Amazon from that streaming service, and then uh, get a broadcast deal with someone who doesn't uh, doesn't broadcast the Premier League. And that might, again, be Fox. I, I So this is where I'm a little uh, bit hedging on the Fox thing. I'm not sure. I think Fox wants to keep either MLS or the U.S., men's and women's national team. I'm not sure they want to keep both. So I uh, and I would say the same thing for ESPN, actually, too. I think ESPN is more likely to keep MLS and Fox more likely to keep the national team. But it could be the reverse. Remember, those packages have been linked now for 20 years, and they're being delinked. So we might see Fox go one direction, ESPN the other direction when it comes to U.S. soccer. Yeah, I'm positive about the MLS TV rights deal possibilities, too. I mean, part of the reason is that uh, we know that If you ask ESPN, Fox, CBS, and NBC today, their executives, and say, hey, how confident are you that you will win the rights to the the next Premier League deal? I think each of them would say, yeah, we think we can do it. We've we've figured out the budget. We've figured out how much money we're going to uh, bid. Although they might get, get a little bit nervous thinking, okay, like, do we need to bid a little bit more just to make sure we get it? But I think each of those would feel very confident. Now, there's going to be a loser in that situation. There's going to be somebody that misses out um, on getting the rights to the Premier League. And that could be ESPN. That could be CBS. That could be NBC. That could be Fox. That could be Amazon. That could be uh, HBO Max slash Turner slash 
Discovery Plus slash <laughs> you know, AT&T. But somebody's going to miss out. But whoever misses out will have budgeted some money available, to, a major amount of money, to get the Premier League, Premier League rights. And we'll say, OK, well, we didn't get the Premier League rights. That's, that's a huge miss. But we've got the MLS deal that's up. And we've got an opportunity here to go ahead and maybe not use the same amount of money that we're going to spend on the Premier League, but get something that is... It's growing, you mean, it, but it's not going to give you the, the massive TV numbers. But on the streaming side, there's, there's a possible kind of uh, uptick there. And then looking to the future, you're looking at maybe, say, uh, Las Vegas having a team joining the league. And you're looking at possibly uh, Leo Messi coming uh, to the United States to play in MLS in a couple of years after his PSG contract uh, runs down. But there's a possibility. There's a lot of positive things to talk about. And I think that um, MLS being positioned in this way is probably going to work out better for them in the long run. Um, but it does it does tell you that the Premier League is king in terms of the TV rights. And then we talk about the MLS TV rights after that. Fascinating times. So, so definitely stay tuned to worldsoccertalk.com, uh, this podcast as well. And uh, we'll keep you apprised of all the latest and greatest news and November 8th is the deadline to submit those bids. And then usually within a week or two after that, uh, we will know. Sometimes they go into a, a second round of bidding. So that could uh, drag that process on a little bit. Uh, but by the end of the year, we will know uh, who has the rights for next season onwards. Exciting times. Now, changing <laughs> our tune completely. Just some news that came out this week. And this is interesting, I think, uh, from Gilt Edge Soccer Marketing, um, a soccer marketing company in the United States. And they did a uh, comprehensive uh, survey. And that survey went ahead and asked many, many different questions. But it went. one of the questions it did ask was about who are the most popular soccer teams in the United States? And uh, Kyle, you'll be pleased to know that that uh, your favorite team is number one, Barcelona. Any surprises there? Uh, no surprises, but I do feel bad for all those fans because let's be honest, we uh, we're not very good. <laughs> that is very true. But but there's a lot. I mean, Ansu Fati. There's Ansu Fati. There's Pedri. There's Gavi. There are there's, some. There's promise. There's, there's promise. promise for sure. But uh, yeah. right now, uh, I think we're sitting what seventh in the league and. Uh, Obviously, one win through three Champions League games. It's uh, a little bleak at the moment, uh, but uh, we're optimistic. We're hopeful. A lot of young people, <laughs> a lot of young players. Uh, I know we just signed Pedri and uh, and Ansu Fati to new contracts with release clauses that exceed one billion euros. So, wow. we're, we're hopeful. That it's interesting though too the timing of this because um, those other clubs in that top ten would be looking at Barcelona and Real Madrid, saying like, hey. Here's the time to go ahead and uh, surpass those. Can we do it? What can we do to in, uh, increase the number of fans we have in the United States? And uh, just to run down this list, so no surprises. Well, if there are any surprises here, guys, just shout out at me. But number one is Barcelona. Number two, Real Madrid. Number three, Manchester United. Number four is Liverpool. Number five, Chelsea. Number six, Arsenal. Number seven, Juventus. Number eight, Manchester City. Number nine, Club America. Number 10, Spurs. And we'll run through 11 through 20. Number 11 is Bayern Munich. 
Number 12, LA Galaxy. <laughs> wait, wait, where's the laughter I, coming I, from? No, no, no. It's just the idea of Spurs being ahead of Bayern tells you the impact of the Premier League in this market, in the United States. I mean, that is, that, that is the takeaway of this whole thing. Uh, you, just, you just did it. I mean, that, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, but, but in some ways, though, Manchester City ahead of Club America. I mean, that, to me, that's a surprise. I mean, that's a surprise too. But uh, Spurs, I mean, because you know, there are fans of other English clubs that get offended whenever I say Spurs, and, and people who are shocked abroad when I tell them there are that this many Spurs fans in the United States. And in fact, I've told people, hey, anecdotally, and it's because of my work in politics. But anecdotally, I don't probably know more. I'm probably friendlier with more Spurs fans now than fans of any other club. Uh, any other European club, which is crazy to think about, especially five to ten years ago. Well, maybe five years ago was already happening, but ten years ago. That just tells you the power of the Premier League in there. And also, it, it, we've been beneficiaries of this, Chris, because we've uh, we've had good a good relationship with Tottenham ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the aggressiveness of their uh, their efforts in the United States and both their owners, by the way, Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy, are very uh, connected here in the state of Florida. So that's another impact. But yeah, sorry, I, but that just yeah, no, no. to me, stunning. All right, number 13, Chivas. Number 14, PSG. Uh, number 15, uh, Monterrey. Number 16, Atlanta United. 17, Atletico Madrid. 18, Inter Milan. 19, Borussia Dortmund. And then 20, Cruz Azul. Kyle or Kartik, any, any clubs in this top 20 that are not included that you're surprised that they're not in that list? I think uh, one thing I, I'm interested to know when this this poll happened. Do you know? Because I feel like the number of PSG fans would have risen as we yeah. see a lot of a lot of bandwagon fans here in the United States. I think uh, I was honestly surprised to hear Barcelona's number one. I would have pegged uh, Real Madrid or Manchester United to hold that spot because I thought that a number of Barcelona fans would would flip over to PSG as uh, as Messi went over there. Yeah. So the survey was conducted in twenty. 20- 20 and um they did a few surveys and uh also they looked at google trends results and facebook advertising reach also as factors i mean on facebook you can i think you can indicate what who your favorite team is and there's probably some some intelligence there that can be taken from that but no you're right this this list will change um Mm -hmm. especially as players move from club to club and uh but still I, I think for the most part for the most part this this seems accurate for the most part this uh seems pretty uh spot on in terms of mm-hmm. you know I mean i mean we're in the united states the domestic league is what number 12 and mm-hmm. number 16 in the list and and i think that based on tv ratings too and how many people watch t- the tv games uh, soccer games on t- television this seems pretty spot on I'm actually surprised, given that Spurs came in ahead of Bayern Munich, that you did not have West Ham or Everton. Everton may be in particular on the list. I'm pretty sure they're probably in the 20 to 30 range, those two clubs. And maybe eh, maybe not Aston Villa yet, but uh, there were a lot of Everton fans, a fair number of Everton fans. And there were a fair number of West Ham fans in this country. And there will probably be, in the near future, a number of Newcastle fans also, <laughs> let's be honest about it. <laughs> and, and then one other... Uh thing that came out of this survey was that they also asked um, what percentage of American soccer fans favor commentators and analysts who have a British accent 
And the result is, is that according to the survey, 59% of American soccer fans favor commentators and analysts who have a British accent, which is interesting on a, on a few different levels because, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm biased on this one, but I think for the most part in the, in the world of, I mean, in world soccer, English language wise, most of the best commentators are British. So whether it's uh, John Champion, whether it's uh, Derek Ray, uh, whether it's Ian Dark, and, and you go down the list. I mean, Martin Tyler, I mean, it's getting older, definitely. But th- there's a, a strong pedigree of top-level English-language-speaking commentators that are British. Now, that's one thing. But there's also kind of a anglophile appeal too in the united states where you know i mean it's uh arlo white is a british accent but his commentary style uh he's very american he's extremely american but having a british accent maybe i mean is appealing to to people that hear the accent and and, and then enjoy his commentary uh and any thoughts, Kyle or Kartik, about about this uh, this study here with the fifty nine percent? And any surprises? Do you think that would have been higher or lower? I thought uh, the number was uh, pretty spot on. Um, I talked to a lot of my friends about what commentary they they prefer. Obviously, I was telling Derek Ray about this because uh, when I interviewed him, I said a lot of people, you know, they know you from from FIFA, and then I kind of related that in my head to. A lot of my my friends prefer to have British accents just because you know they're not diehard soccer fans like we are. But you know when they watch the Premier League, which I think is the the go to league for a lot of American soccer fans, especially on mainstream media, they they feel like they they fit in more in a way because they're watching someone who they think has a level of expertise in that area. And uh, relatively speaking, they might not consider an, an American accent the the same level of knowledge for soccer. That's a good point. That's a good point, especially with the FIFA. And in the past, it would have been Martin Tyler, and now Derek Ray as the voice of uh, FIFA 2022. Um, that has a big impact. That has a big influence. That does, yeah. um, you mean, does make a massive difference. Now, yeah, Kartik, uh, one last um, item in the news segment, and this is a big one. This one came out of, out of the blue, right? This was something that uh, I don't think we expected, but maybe we should have done, right? Yeah, again, considering they have been quietly reacquiring properties, uh, it's been reported this week uh, by uh, Sports Business Journal that uh, that Fox is on the verge of reacquire or acquiring the European Championship rights in the United States. The last four tournaments, uh, beginning with 2008, have been on ESPN. Uh, they would have the rights for 2024 and. I hesitate to say 2028. They've had the rights for two tournaments, right? We don't, and we're not going to get into it on this particular show, but there's all kinds of uh, confusion about what's going to happen in the international game after 2026. They would also get uh, the UEFA Nations League, which I have to say has been a nice little tournament uh, and a nice little uh, uh, thing for ESPN. In fact, ESPN has shown a lot of those Nations League matches uh, we were complaining or talking a lot about ESPN Plus in this uh, broadcast. They, they have shown a lot of Nations League matches, even group, group stage Nations League matches on linear television. So I, I assume UEFA uh, is going to require Fox to do the same. So expect to see uh, those games uh, 
when when the when the rights package uh, goes to Fox on FS1 and FS2, as as well as the European Championships in the summer of 2024, and as of now, the summer of 2028. Yeah, and that's the thing about Fox is they're very mysterious. I mean, I don't think anyone has a good feel for what their vision is or what they're what they're planning on doing kind of uh, into the future and uh we know that they're focused on big national tournaments so they've got the world cup they've got the women's world cup they've got the gold cup uh, they've got the copa america so they're all about the big events and this is another big event euro 2024 and then euro 2028 uh these are some massive events that fox can broadcast and and do a relatively de- decent job at and probably look at this as a way to generate um, massive amounts of uh, advertising revenue about around these big events, and, and and it could also use this too as a vehicle to promote it, cross promote its other coverage of the World Cup and the Women's World Cup, etc. The mysterious part of it is that I mean, is it just that they're focused on big events and have no interest at all? in club football. Well, club football, we know from the report by uh, Sports Business uh, Daily, is that they are interested in bidding in, in the Premier League rights. So so now they're back into kind of thinking about club football in terms of trying to pick up some rights there, even though they lost, I mean, they used to have the, the Premier League and the Champions League and, I mean, all sorts of different leagues, the Bundesliga, and have lost all those. So, um, so it's a bit unclear about their vision. But having said that, though, Kartik, I mean, you brought it up, <laughs> and and if FIFA talking about having the two year uh, biennial World Cup, and then also reports of uh, many of the nations, as many as twelve, I think, from UEFA, as well as many of the Conmebol nations talking about quitting FIFA, just just saying, okay, the, enough's enough. Having a World Cup every two years is just nonsense. This is just way over the top. What do you think, Kartik? Do, do you think that? that the UEFA nations should seriously consider uh, quitting FIFA uh, as well as the, the Commonwealth nations doing the same? Yeah, I don't know how that would look in terms of uh, a, uh, a, a regime of football governance, but there is no global law that says FIFA must govern football. We've just kind of de facto allowed that to happen. We've allowed them as an entity to accumulate more power than our own national governments in many cases, right? I mean, they're, they're the all-powerful... And uh, they they arbitrarily set the rules that um, that benefit their the bulk of their members because remember FIFA is very undemocratic or democratic depending on your perspective right they are uh, they are one one nation one vote so Montserrat has the same weight as Germany in terms of FIFA votes and uh, in addition as I have kept pointing out and. Um, and again, you know, in the interest of full disclosure, I've been involved with with uh, organizations and groups that have been involved in litigation against U.S. soccer and against uh, FIFA. So that that's that just in the interest of full disclosure, I'll mention that again, that under Gianni Infantino, we, we I know we have this picture of Sepp Blatter and Jao Havelange running this incredibly corrupt entity, which they did. But under Gianni Infantino, there has been a clear uh, and the irony being he's Italian and a former head of UEFA, a clear directional change by FIFA to realign the organization with sponsors from outside Western Europe and with the federations uh, from outside Western Europe, the most powerful federations. So the United States Soccer Federation has been a great beneficiary of Gianni Infantino being president of FIFA. In spite of Chuck Blazer's relationship with Sepp Blatter, the USSF never had it so good. 
Same thing with China. Same thing with a lot of the Middle Eastern countries. And there is a uh, direction from Infantino which basically says uh, the wealth of the game and the, um, the, uh, the, the, the greatest commercial uh, success of the game is in uh, South America and in Europe. We're going we're gonna to redistribute that wealth to other parts of the world in alignment mm-hmm. with sponsors from outside those two regions. So uh, I don't want to get too deep into it. I could do a whole podcast on this or a series of podcasts on this. But I think come the ball and UEFA either have to use this as a threat to get concessions from FIFA, which is tough in the very undemocratic way FIFA is run. Come the ball is 10 nations in a 207 nation organization. Now, South, South America should, if you think about weight, if you voted this weight based on revenues or, 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 uh, or success on the pitch or some other metric, would be maybe 25 or 30 percent, right, of, of global football. But they are, what is that, 5 percent of the, uh, less than 5 percent of the vote in FIFA. So unless that is changed, I think that, I, I think there's going to be a breakup at some point. There's just going to have to be, or the sport itself will break and will not fulfill its potential globally. And uh, you may see something else emerge as a, as a rival sport internationally if this continues uh, globally, because I think uh, FIFA is uh, now committing a, a certain degree of malfeasance, if, if you want my personal opinion of it. Yeah, there's, there's two, two things here which I think are really interesting. One is, is that I could easily imagine everything going on behind the scenes of FIFA with uh, Gianni Infantino talking to the, you mean the different uh, presidents of soccer from different countries and uh, almost like an episode of uh, HBO's uh, success, Succession where behind the scenes you've got <laughs> private phone calls and, and kind of like, okay, all right, let's jump in the car. Here's what we're going to do. It, se- it does seem very, from FIFA at least, it does seem very... They're all over the place, right? It's just a nightmare after nightmare, just uh, whether it's corruption or whether it's just these really what seems to be just, I wouldn't say insane, but just crazy ideas about, okay, we're going to reform things. We're going to take Arsene Wenger and Jill Ellis and have they have them be the spokespeople for the women's game and the men's game. We're going to bring all, all these ex-players together and, and talk about all the possibilities. To me, it feels like a like an episode of Succession because... You ask most soccer fans, you ask most uh, professional footballers and even ex-professional footballers, what do they think about this opinion? And they're like, this is crazy. This is insane. This is nonsense. This is not going to work. This devalues the World Cup. However, uh, FIFA went ahead and cherry-picked these puppets, basically. These people that they said, okay, right, let's take Alexi Lalas, let's take uh, all these different players, Roberto Carlos, etc., etc., and bring them to Doha, pay for the flights, pay for the, the hotel and, and all the luxuries that go around with it, and then force-feed them information and then hope that they go back to their respective countries and then start disseminating it and talking about, hey, this is a good idea, or we, we should talk about this. There's a possibility that this could work. The other thing that's interesting about this, though, too, uh, Kyle, is that uh, EA Sports, we talked about FIFA before, but EA Sports has, I guess, I guess they're not happy with the FIFA name, which I don't blame them because, you mean, it has been dragged through the mud. It has, it's, it's a joke in many ways as far as FIFA uh, and the decisions they're making that are so out of touch with uh, professional and amateur soccer. 
uh, that EA Sports is considering changing the name of the FIFA video game. Now, if you mention FIFA video game, almost everybody knows what it is. But they're talking about changing the name of the game to EA Sports FC. That tells you something, right, Kyle? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think dating back for, for years, I think everyone, when they think of a soccer video game, thinks of, of FIFA. But now that the game's growing, especially here in the United States, uh, people are starting to get a grasp on what FIFA is. And like you said, Chris, that name's kind of been dragged through the mud in recent years with all the, the stuff that's happened with them. I, I mean, that's just a whole laundry list of things. But uh I think if we're talking specifically about FIFA, um, I think it provides such a reach for the the organization as a whole in the United States, especially. Obviously, it's a, a worldwide video game. A lot of people from all over the place play it, but I think in the United States, where they're trying to grow the game itself, uh, FIFA is a great outlet to do that. So, uh, losing that that branding of FIFA would have, I think, pretty big ramifications for the the organization as a whole in the in the long run in the united states yeah you wonder too as far as new fans coming into the game or, or just new you mean whether they're teenagers or, or younger uh getting into playing video games and then you mean if fifa the video game didn't exist or if it went with a different name would they even know who fifa was i mean there's definitely a a, a name recognition uh with fifa a lot of it comes from the video game. But if you don't watch soccer and uh, you play video games and you're a sports fan, do you know? would you know what FIFA is? And actually, the video game does a lot to help FIFA as far as awareness and, again, name recognition and, and those types of things. And also yeah, probably I, I a good uh, PR factor. Yeah, I don't think you would. Uh, I mean, I, I write about FIFA, I read about FIFA, and it, people still say... FIFA, to me, my first thought is always the video game, just because I've been playing the game since FIFA probably 08, which is years ago now. But that's always the first thought for me is when I think of FIFA, I think of the video game. And then I start to get into the the other, you know, obviously the, the organization and then you get into all the issues they've had over recent years. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is uh, Greg, and Greg talks about the ESPN Plus uh, price increase, or at least the possibility of price increases in the future if they do acquire more rights, such as the Premier League, possibly. And Greg says, I do suspect ESPN will eventually go the HBO route and offer streaming direct to consumer. Uh, but yes, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't happen until the numbers show that cable and cable-like subscribers go below some threshold. But of course, then the price for ESPN Plus will jump well beyond $7 a month. My guess would be $12 to $16 a month. And this was a discussion that was talking about um, when does ESPN, the TV channel, uh, when does that become, I mean, ESPN, you can get it direct to consumer. You, You can subscribe to that channel specifically. And... I mean, it's different than ESPN Plus, but over time, it'll probably morph together, together closer and closer. Okay, Fetchin says ESPN Plus shouldn't be like 15 to 20 bucks a month. That's more than the cable bundle price for all of the ESPN channels. With the $7 price point, I think that the most it will be is $10 to $12 a month. Only if they ever add NFL and NBA games, then I can see the price increase like $1 or $2 but it shouldn't increase with all the niche sports they have on the service. Mercator says, Agreed that ESPN has been very smart with their ESPN Plus pricing strategy. It's great value now. 
the app is the best in the market. As is, I think my number is about $10 to $12 per month. But with the Premier League, I'd be fine with anything under $20 a month if you brought all the games. I get the bundle because the family likes Disney and Hulu. So actually, I don't pay attention to the ESPN Plus cost, only the bundle, which again is great value comparing to Netflix, for example, at $15 with no sports. Really just hoping for an ESPN monopoly at this point. Ra says, so I would rather pay $7 for ESPN Plus without the Premier League than $10 with the Premier League. Actually, I would rather pay $5 for the Bundesliga alone, or I would pay $10 for Bundesliga alone if I could switch between several languages and watch every single game, including the second uh, league of the Bundesliga. Moving on, uh, we're talking about uh, Liam McHugh, which uh, many of our listeners would know and remember as uh, one of the... uh, the hosts of the Premier League, uh, oftentimes when Rebecca wouldn't be available say on a Friday uh, or sometimes on, on a Monday. Chris says, in addition to watching uh, matches during the international break, I also watched the debut of the NHL on TNT and noticed that Liam McHugh has joined the coverage as a studio host. This is, in my view, a big loss for NBC's Premier League coverage because he was a great studio host backed up for a uh, backup for Rebecca Lowe. MLS broadcasts uh, coming Actually, up. Actually, Chris, if I could uh, yeah, yeah, jump sure. in there. Uh, uh, I watch hockey. Um, I'm a big hockey fan, obviously a big fan of Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think Liam McHugh is an awesome talent. And I think Chris is spot on saying that it's a big loss for NBC because he did uh, Sunday Night Football with NBC. He did Premier League coverage. Obviously, he had NHL on NBC. And now moving over specifically to TNT for the NHL, I think is a huge get for TNT and Turner. And like Chris says, it's a huge loss because he is a great talent. Uh, I think he his ability to cover multiple sports and you know do different things. He provides a nice uh, nice commentary occasionally. I think he's a, a great talent. And Chris is uh, spot on with that. Yeah, this past weekend too. Actually, it was the Monday game. I think the Arsenal game. It was uh, with Liam McHugh now no longer at NBC Sports and, and working full time doing NHL games. I think it was Brian Burmeister. I think it was his mm-hmm. name. Um, yeah. and it, and he did a decent job for, for Monday's game. I thought he did, yep. uh, especially for the first time I've seen yeah, him. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, MLS broadcasts. So uh, RJ says, great job with the pod. Your discussion last week about MLS broadcasts has made me wonder how the kickoff times are established for MLS games. I live in the Colorado Rapids area, and it's anyone's guess what time a weekend game might be ranging from Friday at 5 p.m. to Sunday at, at 8 p.m. This is, this is, of course, in contrast to the NFL, which is five very consistent kickoff times per weekend. Do you think the MLS would benefit from more consistent game times or perhaps a rolling start, such as every hour on Saturday afternoon to sun- Saturday night or Sunday afternoon to Sunday night, etc.? And I guess the challenge with that, though, too, is that sometimes uh, MLS doesn't have the first pick of, I mean, so if, if they had a completely wide open uh, programming schedule and, and ABC came to them and, and ESPN came to them and, and, and Fox and Univision and said, okay, we have nothing going on. Let us know when you'd like those games to be shown. The schedule probably would look very different than what it is now. The reality is, is that, I mean, all those broadcasters have other coverage of other games. Uh, even Univision has a lot of Mexican soccer 
Uh, and sometimes it's like the broadcaster saying, okay, well, we've got this time from this time, you know, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on a Friday that's available. Uh, you mean, what do you have? And, and, and that's, it's a challenge. I mean, that, that's a good thing about streaming in many ways is that um, you can have more sad, Saturday night games for MLS, like a 7.30 Eastern time kickoff and have seven or eight games played at the same time nationwide because maybe none of them are, are on national television. So so that helps. But um, it's, it's yeah, MLS definitely sits down with the broadcasters and puts together a plan and and makes the attempts as best as they can to show the games when they should be on. Um, but often that is inconsistent just because there's, uh, there's other things happening where they can't show a game at a certain time on, on national television because of a, another broadcast from another sport. In regards to the World Cup 2022 coverage uh, for Fox, um, Greg mentions uh, about that Fox may even have worse congestion than you describe. Thanksgiving Day, NFL, Thanksgiving Saturday, NCAA, college football rivalries with Big Noon, Big Ten Championship the following Saturday, NFL every Sunday, hopefully leagues and broadcast partners collaborate on kickoff times and if needed, one-time rights swaps to maximize the visibility for all of these. And that's the thing though too, the kickoff times are not going to change so the kickoff times, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, is uh, I think the first game's at like 5 a.m. in the morning uh, mm-hmm. for the next World Cup, uh, just due to, to the, the the difference in the, uh, the time zone with the Middle East, with Qatar. And uh, the last game ends at, if I remember right, I think maybe like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So there's going to be overlap where now what FIFA could do if they wanted to, FIFA could say, okay, for the U.S. broadcasters, Let's go ahead and make sure that uh, if the U.S. qualifies, the U.S. games will be, uh, if it's going to be a weekend game, maybe it's a game that's going to be on at, I don't know, 9 o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the morning when we know there isn't a lot of competition with other sports. But again, that's that's something that FIFA would work on with um, with Fox to try and figure out a way to to maximize the number of TV viewers. Cause, and that's another headache in itself, too. Chris says, uh, when it comes to next year's World Cup, I think the number of games on TV in this country will be the lowest since the 1986 World Cup when NBC had the English language rights. This is because Fox will be totally overwhelmed with trying to cover the World Cup, the NFL season, and college football. Expect the majority of games to be on Tubi and FS2 when it comes to English language coverage and Fox really expanding the reach of Tubi as a streaming service. And then just two more comments we talked about last week about CBS against uh, ESPN, like who has the better U.S. uh, soccer coverage uh, when it comes to the U.S. men's national team. JP says regarding that, I don't get all the love for John Champion and Taylor Swellman. Uh, Dre Cordero is one of the best, in my my opinion, and Moadu is fine. He doesn't interject endlessly like Taylor Twelman does, to the point it seems like Cordero is doing solo commentary at times. So uh, Moadu has room to contribute more without taking away from the broadcast. And last but not least, uh, Disco George says, First, I don't really get that uh, much, that pressed about commentators. I like the quieter style personally. Some of the best commentary I can remember was John Champion and Craig Burley on a random ESPN game right after John Champion moved over full time. I remember they just go silent for long periods of time. In reality, it was probably like a minute. 
and let the, the match happen, sometimes I feel like commentators are either shouting over the crowd noise or just trying too hard in general. But I just don't, don't get that irritated about individual commentators as some people do. Maybe because I'm seldom just sitting in front of TV watching and I'm usually on my bike or working or doing something else at the same time. I don't know. What about you, uh, Kyle? What's your uh, preferred commentary style, if, if you have one, in terms of kind of uh, what, what, uh, what do you uh, appreciate more? I'm probably in line with the, the person who just commented. Uh, I like the, the quieter type. Um, I like when – I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I just – I'm a big fan of – of natural noise in a stadium and being able to hear the the, the fans and the players. That's what I liked about uh, Project Restart with the Premier League and same thing with the Bundesliga uh, in early or mid-2020 when you could hear everything like that. So I think I do err on the side of I prefer uh, commentators to just kind of let the game unfold themselves rather than interjecting. But I think it's just it's a matter of preference. Um, mm-hmm. I understand people that might want more commentary, especially if they're trying to understand the game or learn the ins and outs of it. I think uh, more commentary can really help you in that regard. But as someone who does understand the game, uh, it's just I, I prefer to watch it uh, as naturally as possible. That's right. And that's just a good reminder, too, that every Friday, Kyle has the, the list of commentators uh, the schedule of commentators for all the games for the Premier League at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage. So if you have a preference as far as the commentator or the, the type of person, maybe you have your favorite, you can find out ahead of time uh, which game that commentator or commentators are calling so that you can go ahead and uh, even basically uh, mark that on your calendar to watch uh, that game with that commentator. All right. So if you got, got if you got something that you wanted to ask us about, or uh, we'd love to read your comments out on air, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And then the podcast, it's released every Thursday. Um, so go ahead and just uh, feel free to continue listening every week. Uh, you can get it through Amazon Music, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, uh, podcasts for Apple, uh, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, and of course, worldsoccertalk.com. And if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media. And we'd greatly appreciate it, too, if you can give us a review on iTunes. And, and also, too, that's the thing... Um, if any of the listeners, if you have any recommendations of who you would like Kyle to interview for future episodes of the Soccer Show and Tell series, and, and the concept behind the show is talking, interviewing some of our favorite uh, soccer media people or some maybe maybe some people we're not as familiar with, but having them talk about their soccer journey um, in, in, through their life. And a lot of the times what they, they'll do is share different uh, mementos, whether it's uh, football shirts or collectibles or, or things that, that there's a story behind. And I think all of us as soccer fans will have probably an item of something that gives us meaning, that tells a story, that is special to us. So if you do have any recommendations, definitely let us know in the comments section or through any of those methods I just mentioned. And heading into another weekend of football from around the world, Sunday especially is going to be absolutely crazy. Probably about seven or eight massive games. And of course, there's probably another 20 or 30 other games going on. Enjoy your football.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.